Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening. Welcome to episode whatever it is of Sugar and Silk. And on that account, you will probably be immediately aware that there is something of a conspicuous lack of silk on this evening's show. Um, you know what, Simon? You look so translucently white with that lighting. I think maybe we should call it sugar and milk tonight. Take a bow regardless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Indeed, but it's, uh, I've been thrown in at the last minute to uh, just just to be a face, mate. But I got uh, I got loads of questions. So normally I try and fire them to you in the question in the comments or on whatsapp yes. and stuff as you're going so at least i get to ask you in person tonight unfortunately i haven't got the same uh boxing knowledge as uh as our planned guest and of course michael as well but uh, i'll do my best mate for anybody unaware this is simon willis of ace podcast nation he's uh, uh usually our production manager i'm waiting for peter mcdonough who was my substitute for michael Largeray tonight um peter mcdonough calls me about 15 times a day to talk boxing and it's ironic that now I actually want him on the blower talking boxing, you know, in a manner of speaking. And he doesn't seem to be anywhere around. We hope to have Peter for you a little later in the show and we will keep you informed with that. I usually lead this show as the kind of um, main anchor, Simon. But given your kind of um, role here, why don't you ask me a question on this occasion? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm quite... I didn't watch much of the boxing last night. I've seen a couple of clips, but I'd be very interested to hear your views on the, the situation in the women's boxing at the moment. Like Amanda Serrano obviously fought last night and uh, the upcoming situation with Katie Taylor and stuff. But how was yeah. that fight last night? Well, I didn't actually see um, Amanda Serrano versus Erica Cruz in its entirety. I've seen highlights. Um, I also saw Alicia Baumgardner, who also became an undisputed world champion on the Hulu Theatre card in New York last night. Um, it's an interesting situation, you know, when you... Um, Peter McDonald wanted to talk about this, I know, and we'll, we, we've yet to see whether he'll, he'll make it in time to give his thoughts, but the women are making big fights with alacrity without too much problem, and they are, you know, they, they actually have quite a few world champions in their within their side of the sport, quite a few undisputed world champions, that is, you know, because I guess because the talent pool is a lot shallower they can't really avoid each other. It's not, it's not expedient to avoid each other, and they don't really want to avoid each other. They want those paydays, so they gravitate they gravitate towards the best opponents for the best paydays and the best opportunities. Because there's a lot more male fighters in the world, they can avoid each other, and they can they can pursue their separate, safer paths without the big guns necessarily clashing too often. Certainly not when they're in a prime. Whereas you see the total diametric opposite in the women's game. So I think that is. Whatever people think of female boxing, whether they're totally on board with it, still a little hesitant or still fundamentally against it, one thing you have to hand it to the ladies is they they will sort out the bragging rights on a regular basis. Um, another thing, right? I mean, I'm going to talk about this. I, I saw Alicia Baumgardner, who is um, a hot lady, um, weighing in in a gold thong bikini um, before the fight. And... Um, that seems to have happened now. When you saw female weigh-ins back in the day, there wasn't a lot of over sexuality and glamour attached to it, or it didn't seem to be anyway. Obviously, with the advent of Ebony Bridges, it seems she seems to have raised that bar where a lot of ladies who, you know, perhaps consider themselves attractive and, and have that kind of sex appeal, which is marketable, they're going for it and making the effort at the weigh-ins now. Um, I remember when I was in San Antonio and I was watching... Um, the, the the zone card I believe it was with um with Mike Ayala and his wife, and when one of the ladies weighed in, it was the Josh Warrington card. There was a female fight on the show, um, and I forget who it was, but one of the ladies was weighing in a thong bikini, and she was like saying, "What is this, all this? You're not there to you know you're not there to showcase your ass." She was saying, and she was kind of disapproving of it. But that looks like it's part of the game now, where women. The female game is bigger and, you know, female fighters are sex symbols now, you know, and that is, that is being pushed. Um, 
I see straight away off the back of Serrano winning last night that the Katie Taylor rematch has been announced for May the 20th at Dublin. Um, and I know you're aware that the, the, the iconic venue to have in it would be Croke Park, but supposedly Eddie Hearnest said it won't be at Croke Park because it costs another half a million pounds to pay for the security that venue requires. And we were talking off camera um, that Conor McGregor has supposedly thrown his hat into the ring and says that he will he will stump up the half a million to ensure it does happen at Croke Park if that is indeed the stumbling block. You know, I don't know um, how that will progress. I mean, I think um, obviously Conor McGregor's got the money one first and foremost, and he's he is very big on you know supporting Irish sport, uh, particularly combat sports. So I would be. I'd be surprised if he would say it just for the, you know, just for the sort of publicity, although he is a bit of a publicity hound. Although saying that, obviously, doesn't um, uh, the, 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 the YouTuber who cannot be named, uh, yes. doesn't he represent Amanda Serrano as well? So, I mean, he between does, them, yeah. they few quid, which I'm sure could cover the additional uh, security. Yeah, I guess it falls onto the promoter, though, if, 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 if Metroom are promoting it. Um, mm. I guess it falls on them to, 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 to stump up for those costs. You know, you talk about, I, 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 I'll say his name, Jake Paul. Mm. It was interesting. You get, people are going to have to hold me to this. I was at the Anthony Yard fight the weekend before last. His gallant stand against Artur Beterbiev at Wembley Arena. And because of what they did before the main event, because you could see um, Natalie and I were sitting there quite high up in the stands on this occasion. Um which is a, makes a change for me uh, from being on the floor. But um, there was a bunch of people all manoeuvring and jockeying for position about to get in the ring. And you could see some of them were media and, and whatnot. And it's like they're getting ready to make some announcement. And I actually thought, do you know what? Derek Chisora is there sitting ringside with Tyson Fury. And I thought, might they announce Derek Chisora's retirement? Might be a good time to do it, you know, and give him a bit of a, a rouse innovation. And then the next thing you know, you've got that clown, Jake Paul, in the ring with Tom, that other clown, Tommy Fury. And they're, you know, scuffling and everything else. And I felt so kind of um, besmirched by being in the audience. You know, I felt soiled. Mm. Um, and I was pretty annoyed about it at the time. And I was like, I feel like I've been duped into sitting here watching this, you know. And um, and I said on Facebook at the time, I said, right, after what they've just done, I'm not coming to a Warren show again, um, a Frank Warren show ever again. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, having now been uh, over a week ago, um, I still feel that way, you know, um, that, that I won't do that. I mean, some people some people have said to me, well, it's not really Warren, it's the heads at BT Sport. They will be driving that. And obviously they say, what promoter wouldn't take that kind of money? And I understand that. But see if, see if, I, see if I'm lying, Simon. I'm not going to go to a Frank Warren show anymore for, for making me sit through that. Yeah, and I think in fairness to you, like when you used to come on the MMA show with us and we'd ask you about him uh, and, and certain things around it, you've been very staunch in your kind of opinion of you've got no interest in it and then if you're going to watch you know like a legitimate boxing fight and you sat there in the, in the crowd the last thing you're expecting or wanting is for him to turn up and have to sit through it so I, I can understand your frustration just from the conversations that we've had where you've you know you don't really uh, see, you know, you don't you don't class him as a bo as a boxer at the end of the day, do you? I can't really because I, I know I know KSI is not a boxer. I know that I've seen it with my eyes, you know, I've, um, and I don't see how the other fella can be that much better than him. Which makes me wonder how good you know Tommy Fury is. I mean, I've, obviously I've seen his pro fights. He looked like he had a bit of potential. He looks like a strong kid. You know what I mean? Um, I know he'd done nothing as an amateur, Tommy Fury. Um, there's no pedigree there whatsoever. Um, He's a half-brother, I believe, in terms of binary heritage. He's a half-brother mm. of Tyson Fury, genetically. He certainly has the much more mainstream kind of Essex looks, doesn't he? You know, for whatever difference that makes, just weighing into that into the equation. But um, Fury, I mean, I, I see him struggle with a, with a journeyman type, with an away fighter type uh, ginger kid in his... I don't know, third or fourth fight or something like that. So Fury, the interest, I don't want to talk about it for too long, but the interesting no, thing is the other fella, the YouTuber, is actually a favourite over him. That might be dictated by the money that's getting laid and everything else. But 
You know what? Someone said to me, well, all right, you can say you're not going to a Warren show. And I agree with you. You know, um, that was bad because my friend was in the crowd too. But he said, but it was Eddie Hearn who really, who really gave this momentum. And it was social media and Eddie Hearn. And you could lay the blame at more at his door than you could at Frank Warren's. But all I know is I was ne I've never been at a matchroom show where I've suddenly been forced to sit through that kind of caper, you know, unaware is completely blindsided. So yeah. the, it may be a bit arbitrary on my part on the, based on that logic. But that's why I say that that I'm not going to bother with Warren shows anymore. But I, I hasten mm -hmm. to add that Warren will not be losing any sleep over there. And, he, you know, no. uh, he hasn't spoken to me since we did an interview in 2014 in any case. And um, so I'm probably lucky he hasn't barred me, to be honest with you. And the <laughs> fact that I've barred myself would not be causing him to toss and turn overnight. Um, before we move on, or before I ask you another question, um, uh, can I ask you one quick question on that? Would you, uh, if Jake Paul were to, you know, knock Tommy Fury out in two rounds or whatever, put on maybe, you know, show a, show a bit about himself for a couple of rounds. And if he was to stop Tommy Fury convincingly, would that change your opinion of him as a boxer? Or would it be a case of Tommy Fury hasn't really done a great deal either? I think I'd have to say it that way, Sai. I mean, I think, you know, um, it would certainly lower my opinion my entry level, you know, opinion of, of Tommy Fury as a boxer. I mean, I, I don't see the thing like Tommy Fury is he's been chasing this situation. He wants to make the, 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 the you know, the telephone numbers associated with it. I'm not going to put that down because everybody needs to eat and live, even if they are, you know, uh, the, the brother of a, of a, of a very wealthy, you know, iconic fighter. But the thing is, um, he doesn't seem interested in being a boxer per se. He doesn't seem hungry. He doesn't really want the glory. He doesn't want the education, and he doesn't want the you know the the kind of career plan that would put you in a good place that you know to be taken seriously and be at the cutting edge of his industry. He seems to want to cash in on this fucking clownish you know really lowest common denominator nonsense, and that's the career path he's taking. You know, and listen, just before um, the last thing I'll say on it is. Someone said to me, if you were offered, you know, and you'd be offered big money, obviously, to corner one of them, let's say the YouTuber, would you turn it down because of your integrity and because of your stance and because of everything you said? And the thing is, to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't because it would be hard to justify um, putting myself in that position and not taking advantage of it, given my situation. But you know something, if I was as well situated and wealthy as Eddie Hearn, for instance, or, or, or Frank Warren, who I know, However many times he's been rumored to be going skint over the years, you know, in terms of you know, into his personal state of affairs will be will be very rosy. You know that for a fact. Of course. Yeah. Uh, if I had their kind of uh, comfort and um, if I had that kind of money, then then yes, I would. Um, you can you can quote me on that. It's to 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 talk to somebody who's practically skint and ask them what they would do is not an equitable situation. Um, no, of course, it's not. And and you know me, I still wouldn't keep my mouth shut, even if even if <laughs> somehow somebody gave me that gig, you know that I would find some way to upset somebody because I wouldn't be able to keep a lid on it anyway. Yeah, well, and look, anyone who's in that position, if you, unless you're in a position where you can turn down that sort of money, I think it's unrealistic to say that you would. But equally, like you say, with your personality and your views on it, you'd more than likely you'd say something anyway, probably get kicked off it anyway. Yeah, you know what I mean? If, if somebody <laughs> puts something to you which is completely immoral, illegal, and or just utterly reprehensible uh, behaviour as a human being, money would not swing that for me, no. No, of but course. When, you're just talk, when you're just talking about something I find lame, distasteful and regrettable, it's not the same. It, it's it, it's not like it's actually a crime, is it? With all, no. all jokes aside, you know what I mean? So that's yeah. why it's hard, to it's hard for a person who isn't massively wealthy by any stretch of the imagination to turn down easy money for something which is not harming anybody. That That is the, the thing. Absolutely. But shall, shall we move on to something yes, more, more cutting edge and serious for the sake before we lose, before we actually <laughs> hemorrhage viewers? Yeah. Um, so I was gonna. I wanted to ask you about last uh, some other fights which went on last night. But before, just before I ask you about that, I wanted to ask you um, about. Can I, I saw a, a highlight? I think it was on Boxing News, but I'm not 100 percent sure which website it was. Which said um, Canelo Alvarez uh, has picked uh, Javante Davis to beat Ryan Garcia, um, and I think it's the, there's a date for that fight now as well, which is I think it's April 14th, 15th. Are you surprised by that, or do you see is the general consensus within the boxing world that sort of Javante Davis is the is the sort of fight favorite or the the one that people are picking? 
to be honest, I think they're split down the middle. So that's why it's a big, you know, great, attractive fight that the fans really want to see. Because ultimately, we should be torn. When in the truly great fights, we should be torn, and that's the whole. That's kind of the whole essence of it. You know, of a great matchup uh, where fighters are rolling the dice in, in their primes. And that Mike Ayala, for instance, who we've had on the show previously, is definitely fancies Ryan Garcia as the bigger man. You know, and, and, and an explosive young fighter at that. Michael Elijah Day, normal co-anchor, fancies Javonta Davis because he thinks he's much more of a ring general and a, and a bigger talent with with a with a better boxing IQ. And also, the thing about Javonta is he his power he punches above his weight. To use to use that classic cliche that you know, people always throw at you when you're with an attractive girl, um, they say you're punching above your weight. That's what Javonta Davis does, regardless of his private life and his personal life, which has been in the news. Uh, of late, um, you know, he, he he seems to have that power that he can carry up the divisions with him. He certainly had it at 140. I believe this fight will be made. It's I believe it's going to be made at a catch weight somewhere of uh, something like 142, right? It's slightly above like welterweight, but it's mm -hmm. only a couple of pounds, I believe, 142, 143. So Javonta, despite being an, the smaller man, he does seem to punch like the devil. Not to mention his, you know, his, his athleticism, his speed, his combination punching, his ring IQ, his positioning, his balance, and everything else. So, I think he's more the finished article than Ryan Garcia is, who, who can look highly impressive, you know, as well on the offensive. Uh, and I think defensively, Garcia, uh, sorry, that Tank Davis is a little bit better. So, personally, I fancy Javonta Davis. So, you know, so I agree with Canelo Alvarez, but plenty of people fancy Garcia to do the job, you know. I mean, that's why it's a great fight, because you don't know. Some people say that Garcia is the real deal. Other people say he's just another kind of, you know, like a glorified YouTuber and an Instagram king, you know, and all the rest of it, and, and he'll buckle. He'll be found wanting when it when, when someone really sticks it on him. But, you know, the kid had 200 amateur fights, and you, you can see he's a big talent, and he, and he is an explosive puncher. And I, I happen to believe Ryan Garcia has that X factor also, you know, that's just going to take one. He's not the finished article. He's not perfect. His defence might be a little bit porous on occasion. You see how Luke Campbell put him on the floor uh, a couple of years ago. But I think Ryan Garcia is a big, exciting, charismatic fighter. And I, and I, it looks like we have got this fight over the line, and I really hope so, because I want to see it. And it, do you know what? It doesn't matter to me one jot that there's not a world title on the line. You know, no. I, I think we've gotten way beyond that. You know, there was a fight last night for the vacant WBO Super Featherweight title. You know, and it was whether it was for a title fight or not, vacant or otherwise, it was just a great fight. And that's that is um, that's what Frank Warren told me years ago. Um, the only time we ever did an interview, he said that he brought in a lot of that flavour that we see today. With the, in the early eighties, he brought in the ring girls in British boxing and the ring music. You know, the ring walks, um, which the more staid kind of classic. Um, old school promotion of Mickey Duff and Terry Lawless and, and Jarvis Astaire. They weren't doing that. They had trumpets at the Royal Albert Hall and they didn't have women. Mickey Duff hated ring girls. He said, men have died in the ring and it's a serious business. He said, what on earth has some woman wiggling her blooming ass got to do with it? He, Duff hated ring girls with a passion. Um, but my, my point was, when Frank Warren, when I put it to him that he brought in that kind of wave of more kind of tabloid glamour to, to promotions in the early 80s when he first um, got his license legitimately he said you know what he said yeah you know you, it was another way of doing things the razzmatazz he said you dress them up and it was good fun he said but listen all people really care about is great fights that's all the public really care about and I think obviously that's true it, it, it is self-evident you know so Garcia Davis you know um, bring it on and um, my pick is, is, is uh, Davis but it's I could easily be wrong, and that's why I like the fight. Yeah, I like I like uh, Davis for it, but I you took the words out of my mouth a, mi uh, a minute ago when you said um, Brian Garcia. I feel like he's just got something special about him, which I really like. But um, do you know what I find the most refreshing and encouraging? I hope for the future is how fast the fight has come about in the last probably well, say since Christmas, really, even maybe just before Christmas. It seems to have gathered a lot of. Like they said, they wanted to fight each other and then they've made it happen. Where for so long, so many years, we've seen so many rivals avoid each other for years and years until they're past their prime. And to see these two guys at their peak, really, just say, yes, we want to fight each other. Let's get it done. And it looks, fingers crossed, 
you you say that, but this one has been a little while in the making. There has been yeah, quite but... a lot of posture and counterclaim. And at one point, De La Hoya said, if they don't sign this by today, or if I don't get the contract, we're going to go in another direction. So we have had that. And I also remember Ring Magazine had a cover this time last year. And they okay. said it was four fights they'd like to see in boxing. And they were Davis versus Garcia, Fury versus Usyk, Crawford versus Spence, and Canelo versus Baturbiev. And we haven't seen any of the fights yet. It looks like we're going to get Davis Garcia. But bear in mind, we still have it. So, yeah, we have I ever told you the story about how Sugar Leonard versus Thomas Hearns, number one, September 16th, 1980, was made on a, on a napkin in an airport coffee shop? They, Emmanuel Stewart said he wanted to meet with Mike Trainer, who was Sugar Leonard's attorney, uh, based in Maryland and was a very savvy businessman. He, he wasn't a boxing man first and foremost, but he knew his numbers and he... And he was one of those guys who would become an expert on something, he, what he needed to be an expert on when he started working with Sugar Ray Leonard and when he took care of his career. And he did a fantastic job for Sugar Ray Leonard. And um, so Emmanuel Stewart said, we're going to meet. And he, he wrote the figures on a napkin. They they met somewhere in the middle of the United States, somewhere between Maryland, where Silver Spring, Maryland, where Trainer was based, and Detroit, Michigan, where Stewart was based. They met up somewhere in the middle, like I say, and they, they went to an airport coffee shop. And Stewart... Stewart Dot, jotted the figures down on, on a napkin that was to hand and said, this is the thing, right? Uh, Tommy gets 8 million, Ray gets 11 million, something like that. He said, Ray is the bigger commercial animal. We, we don't dispute that. And that's, we're okay with that. So this is what I think it should be. This is the TV money, this and, and everything else, you know, the live gate should be so-and-so. And they did the deal so quickly that apparently, or at least the legend has it, they both left on the same planes that they came in on because they'd done what they needed to do and they made the fight. And if they met, if they met in something like, um, whatever they met, because, you know, Ray boxed, I believe he boxed Ayab Kaluli in May and he already had the Hearns fight signed then. So if they met in the spring, they had the fight signed and they, and they even, you know, see, that was a sign of the time too. Sugar Leonard, he's got the biggest fight in history at the time, the richest fight in history made with Thomas Hearns, who was a lethal, murderous, pun undefeated puncher, you know. And mm. it must have scared him in his private moments at night when he woke up thinking, have I really got to fight that guy? <laughs> and not content with that, he went off and fought a pretty tough guy in Ayab Kaluli at a higher weight to win another world title. That was his tune-up. That was what he did to mark time and stay busy. Those really were different days, my friend. Yeah, and I think as fans, they're the... That's what we want to see from fighters, isn't it? Whether it's whether you're an MMA fan or a boxing fan or you like a bit of both, is you want to see the best fight the best. And I think that's why people get frustrated, certainly for someone who watches both boxing and MMA, like for myself. That's what can be the frustrating part of boxing is that sometimes these guys avoid each other. And I mean, a prime example being in recent times, you know, the Fury and Joshua fight, which has just never sort of happened. Um, Will we no. see Fury Usyk? I'd like to think that, so, but that looks like it's on Simon because Frank Warren said in the in the the last days of last week he said that it's basically it will definitely happen. He said, "Stand on me, it will definitely happen in the last weekend in April." That is April the 29th, Okay, Saturday, okay. April the 29th. He said the only thing I would say is the venue. That is, and he said, and I actually think that will be decided in the next four or five days. And he said that back on Friday, I think. Okay. So if Warren is true to his word, and far be it from me to suggest that would ever not be the case, then we should get that announcement. Um, you know, we should get that announcement next week, in theory, of Fury Usyk. I, I do think it will happen, though. And, you know, it, I really it hope so. Like, it looks like that's the way they're going to go. And I'm glad because... I don't. When people say to me, "Oh, you know, they'd still rather see Fury Joshua," I find that rather tragic because what they're doing is they're falling for branding and they're falling for tabloid kind of. They're falling for casual city stuff because if you're interested in the sport for the for the right reasons, you want to see Fury versus Usyk because yeah. that is the big conundrum. That is that you know I, I I know most people fancy Fury just because he's a giant and because he's so efficient, you know, at what he does at such an unprecedented size, but. But Usyk is a special, special fighter, and, it, and I want to see the problems and questions he will ask of Tyson Fury. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see Anthony Joshua lose to Tyson Fury in, in what I regard as a fairly predictable manner that will unfold him. Yeah, I think, listen, um, your knowledgeable sort of viewers uh, over on your page may, be, may tell me different. Um, as you know, I'm more of a sort of a casual boxing guy, but like... 
for me, the Fury Joshua fight doesn't interest me at all anymore. It did, yeah. it, but after the the Usyk fight against Joshua, it, it 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 just doesn't because I don't see any sort of likelihood. Obviously, everyone's got a puncher's chance and the rest of it. Doesn't seem like any likelihood that Joshua would beat Fury. Whereas the Fury Usyk fight, that to me is the fight to make. That's the let's see who's the best, and that's what interests me. And I feel like yeah. that's the one. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear that. That's encouraging. And, you know, I'm interested in Anthony Joshua's next fight against Jermaine Franklin on April okay. the 1st, you know, coming up at the uh, the O2, I believe. There was, you may have noticed in the news, there was some uh, disgruntled noises from Dylan White last week or this week just yes. gone. He was not happy. He was complaining. And I see Dylan's point totally. He's He said that he was, that the winner of his fight with Jermaine Franklin uh, a little earlier um, last year was promised a fight with Anthony Joshua. He says, yeah, you know, I beat the guy. Then they give it to, you know, they give it to the loser. But you could caveat that in a couple of ways. One would be the, the body of opinion, you know, the quite sizable body of opinion who thought Jermaine Franklin won the fight and that Dylan was lucky to, to squeak home on that occasion. Mm -hmm. So some people say, you know, this is a more, he's fresher than Dylan. You know, he hasn't been knocked out three times. There's more intrigue around Jermaine Franklin, you could argue, based on his showing against Dylan White, which was highly credible, than there is with Dylan White, who we've seen knocked out a few times, including by Anthony Joshua way back in 2015, which seems like a, you know, a generation ago already now to me. But, um, you know, I, I understand why Dylan's got the hump, but I... I'd be interested seeing a, seeing a white Joshua rematch. Yes, of course I would. And he's right. It is the bigger fight. Of course it is. How could it not be? But I quite like Joshua versus the American just to see what what Franklin could show us, you know, um, another, you know, a second time in, in Britain. And and also to see where Anthony Joshua is at, you know, where yeah. his psyche is at and where his form is at after the two back-to-back -back losses to Alexander Usyk. So I'm quite looking forward to Joshua, you know, staying in his lane for now, which is trying to rehabilitate himself against an interesting, tough American opponent. And then we'll see what's next for him. I know Eddie Hearn is saying that all you people are writing him off. Get ready to be humbled. Get ready to eat your words because he is coming back with a vengeance, you know. And uh, anyone who's writing Joshua's obituary, is, is smoking crack as far as he's concerned, you know. But we'll, we'll see. It's an interesting time. But as far as the division goes, I want to see Fury versus Usyk. And um, I like Fury, okay? I mean, I, 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 I certainly am not anti-Fury by any stretch of the imagination. But I would quite like to see Usyk win that. In my heart, as, as, as it's unfolding, as I'm watching it, I will be happy to see Usyk doing well. And I will be getting behind him as that goes on. If, if he starts building that story and, and starts looking like he's going to win... Um, I will be gravitating towards him. Of course, yeah. Um, just a quick question on Anthony Joshua. Um, if he has some issues with Franklin, or if you know Franklin was to pull off the victory, which I think would be widely regarded as an upset, is that yes. it? For, is that it for Joshua? Do you think at the top top level? If he loses to Franklin, I think he would struggle to to seize the destiny that was supposed to be his, let's put it that way. I think he would struggle. Would he have to retire? Not necessarily, no, especially not if he lost on points. He wasn't like, if it wasn't some more kind of humbling, humili humiliated knockout. But I think it would be hard for Joshua, it would be hard for anybody to spin it that he was still the, the elite heavyweight that, that Eddie Hearn is promising that he remains, you know? Um, if he if he if he struggles and looks bad, that doesn't matter. That's just that can just be dismissed honestly as a bad night in the office. So because mm -hmm. you know if Andrew Holyfield looked terrible against Bobby Chairs before he sensationally upset Mike Tyson um, in November nineteen ninety six, we've seen other examples of it. You know where where guys have sucked. I mean, a young Cassius Clay looked pretty. He, he looked didn't look fantastic against Doug Jones uh, when he was extended over 10 rounds and some people thought he lost the fight and then he got decked by Henry Cooper and looked dangerously on the verge of defeat on that iconic night at, at Wembley in, in, in June 1963 before he upset Sonny Liston in Miami you know what I mean so you could Lennox Lewis Ray Mercer got a tough time you know Torrid Tussle some people think that Lewis lost that fight too so if, if Joshua struggles and squeaks home, that's not, honestly, people will be criticising him and people, some people will be, you know, getting out the, you know. Pitchforks and, the, yeah. I, yeah kind of of it. But but it won't be a problem for him. If he loses, I think it will be pretty pretty bleak for his career trajectory after that. Yeah, and I think ultimately everyone 
can have a bad day at the office, as it were. And I don't think it's... I think it's psychologically it would be where does he how does he recover from another loss? Because I think the forgive me, what was the Mexican guy's name? The the big Ruiz. guy we lost to Ruiz, that's it. Um, who he obviously he lost to in a massive shock, and then he came back and he came back strong in that second fight. But I just don't know if he would be able to, I think this would be an even bigger shock again, wouldn't it? I think it would. The only thing you can say is there is. It was a big shock the first time in in June two thousand nineteen because there was no aura of invincibility around Anthony Joshua. I don't think that's that that would be genuine to say, but he was unbeaten and he certainly sure as hell wasn't supposed to lose to what was perceived to be an overweight kind of you know rugged Mexican sure. who'd come in as a late substitute and was a seven to one underdog, the best you could find anywhere, you know, best price. But um. So there was that, you know, it hadn't happened before. Because Joshua has been humbled a few times, he's been beat twice back-to-back back, back back by Usyk, as well as that, you know, night. Pretty disastrous night against Andy Ruiz the first time, really, you know. And people say that he's still nursing the ghosts of that in, in, in his head to this day. It's made him gun-shy. It's made him doubt himself. It's made him kind of, like, paranoid about his punch resistance and everything else, you know. But... um I think, it, but it would still be perceived as a big upset. I haven't looked at the odds. I should have done before we came on here. I haven't seen the odds on my bet. Yeah, you can, um, in, you can have a look at the prices. Yeah. In terms of um, like your opinion as a as a boxing trainer, as a boxing pundit, as a, an author, like, do you see a difference in Joshua pre pre Ruiz to post Ruiz? Yes. Um, I hate going along with the narrative. I hate. I like to think outside the box, and I hate automatically accepting that because there's a lot of cliches in boxing, you know. And one one person who's probably like the number one cliche buster, the number one myth buster in the game, I actually think is probably my co-host Michael Alajaday. He will not yeah. have anything on 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 the on the consensus, you know, on the on the kind of mainstream say so. I mean, it, that's why he was arguing so. And I almost feel like he won the argument, even though I think he's still wrong. The, the <laughs> argument about Ali versus Sugar Ray Robinson. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really, I think he was really good that night. And if it had been a legal battle, I'd have had to pay his costs, you know, because cause that's the way he is. But So I don't like just saying, oh, you know, he's gun-shy since the Ruiz fight. But I think he might be a little bit and a little hesitant. You know, for me, that was I noticed that in the first Usyk fight, um, that he just looked like he was stuck and out of ideas and stuck between two game plans. It was in no man's land, really. He wasn't sure if he was trying to box him or whether he should try and stick it on him or what. In the rematch, he had a plan. He was, you know, he was he was more compact. He he, he got a little lower, you know, bent his knees a bit more and, and was boxed from slightly more of a crouch. He attacked the body. He was more purposeful and more determined, you know. Mm. Uh, but I do think that whatever it was, whatever self-belief he had, in his, you know, in his durability, in his punching power, and everything else, I think he was forced to reevaluate that, weight that subconsciously um, after Ruiz fight. Yeah, I think that's fair. So the outright fight odds uh, on Skybet: uh, Anthony Joshua's one to twelve to win. Uh, Jermaine Franklin is six to one to win. Twenty to one on the draw. There's your so upset. I mean, you know, it's similar to Ruiz. Yeah, I mean, the Ruiz was seven to one, as I recall. But you probably could have got more than that. You know. Um, yeah, I just that was just the first one. I, you know, that's the first one I've pulled up. So, I mean, I'm sure yeah. there's uh, different ones about. Um, you mentioned uh, the vacant title fight last night in the super featherweight division. Um, tell yeah. me a bit about that. That was um, the a vacant title fight for the WBO super featherweight belt, which Shakur Stevenson forfeited on the scales last time out. He just couldn't make the weight anymore. And uh, the fight went ahead, but he, he lost the belt. You know, he... Couldn't, he couldn't defend it. So um, last night, Emmanuel Neverett and Australia's Liam Wilson fought for it. They put on a highly entertaining scrap. Neverett, um, who would have possibly appear to have gone as far as he can up the weights because his advantages, as somebody else pointed out on my page today, with the fact he was so elongated and had such such long levers and, he, and, and such natural power that he could hurt a guy from a distance without mm -hmm. even having to cut the ring off particularly and he was dangerous and unorthodox looping angles, you know, and unorthodox punches he would throw. So the um, he appeared, he struggled more than a lot of people might have expected last night against the Aussie. 
And I think one thing, he looked at his body, looked a little soft at 130 pounds. And perhaps this is as far as he's already become a three weight world champion, by the way, which is an increasingly common occurrence in boxing today. It used to be only the fistic immortals who, who could attain that kind of um, that kind of mantle. You know, you had like, you know, Barney Ross, Tony Canzanieri, Henry Armstrong, Alexis Aguayo, and Wilfred Benitez. Whereas now there's a lot of guys who won't necessarily make the Hall of Fame who will be largely forgotten in years to come who did actually lay claim to, to three and sometimes even four world championships in today's climate. But um, great fight. Um, the controversy was in the fourth round. Um, Wilson, he threw one of those long uppercuts that he throws from way out, um, never wrecked, and he got nailed with a left hook. And then everything but the kitchen sink followed it with a flurry that, that sent him to the canvas. And he got up at nine, but then spat his mouthpiece out. And by the time they'd replaced the mouthpiece and messed around with it, a lot of people are saying it was 27 seconds. You can't really call it a 27-second count because he wasn't on the deck. But they were there was 27 seconds between him, you know, getting floored and the action resuming, which I know the Australians' corner, including Barry Hunter, the black American trainer, have protested that situation. They may press for a rematch on that basis. And then um, never regained control of the situation and came on strong to stop the guy in the ninth. You know, to me, um, the stoppage looked a little, a little... They were very quick to stop Wilson, considering the pass that Neverett got in round four, you know. So it wasn't without controversy, but it was a highly entertaining fight, exciting fight. And, uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see whether there is a rematch and what Neverett can do at one thirty going forward. Interesting. So... He spat his uh, his mouth guard out during the count. Did you say? Yeah, it, when he got up, basically he got up at like nine, um, yeah, thereabouts, and then spat and it out. So he had that spat the mouthpiece out. So. Yeah, and it took him a while to replace it. They didn't. You know what? They don't, don't believe they washed it. Uh, if memory serves, in the corner, you know, which they will sometimes do when a mouthpiece comes out. Or they, they, the referee just got him to put it back in, but, but it, it took a while, you know. Yeah, so it just gave him more time to recover and. Yeah, and the rest yeah. of it's yeah. got you. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. I mean, is there is there anything within the the kind of the rules around the the standing counts and, and counts that says that? Oh, you know, they're not allowed to have it. The, the, most commissions in the pros and title level don't allow a standing count. You're, sometimes they do in Europe, and they have done for for decades. But most professional um, elite level professional boxing you'll see doesn't will not have a standing count they don't have that obviously they, they will have the count when you get up you know they continue to, to eight they call it mandatory eight count that you will get at least eight seconds no matter when you get up right but yeah. um, but um, you know what it, there is it's it's not cricket the most famous example probably was Diego Corrales and Jose Luis Castillo in that first epic fight some people will tell you that was the greatest most violently exciting fight in boxing history you know, when um, he was completely uh, gave, you know, gazing into the jaws of defeat, Diego Corrales, he spat his mouthpiece out twice when he got floored twice in that 10th round and then came on to stop his man um, in the same round. You know, he stopped him on his feet, just punched him to a standstill. Obviously, there was a lot of gamesmanship there with him spitting a mouthpiece out twice. Um, but all you can really do at that moment, if a fighter keeps losing his mouthpiece, you can disqualify him, you can give him public warnings, and you can disqualify him, but there's not a lot you can do about him gaining some time by spitting it out. You know, you really, to the best of my knowledge, there's not a lot you can do. The referee can just warn him for it, you know. Yeah, so was it an accidental, like it fell out of his mouth, or was it uh, he intentionally spat it out to give himself that time? To be honest with you, I'm not sure. I've I've only seen it the once... um, so I don't necessarily have an opinion on that because you know you can okay. you get a little tired and you're blowing and you're hurt whatever course, your yeah. mouth comes open and you can look at the floor. Next thing you know, the gum shield's on the floor. Yes, of course. So I, I don't know, but you know it's but there's a lot of gamesmanship mm-hmm. at that level, and um, and we had the you know the historical precedent of Diego Corrales. So I wouldn't be astonished if he did it on purpose. No, no, I mean it's quite clever, really, in terms of that game gamesmanship and the elite level sport. Fighters or elite level sportsmen will find ways to win and to give himself an advantage without breaking the rules. Yeah. That's common in all sports, you know, not just combat sports. I think it's just one of those things. Now, I'm not saying that was the case. I'm just saying that it's it wouldn't be a shock, I suppose. It's the, well, it's like it's, it's like with the Eubank. You know, you you probably heard about the uh, 
the Liam Smith, Chris Eubank thing when when his team, including particularly Roy Jones, were complaining that Eubank had been struck with an elbow. You know, with where they followed through Smith with a, yeah. I think it was a left hook, um, which raised that kind of contusion uh, on his eye, um, and people were claiming that was a foul. But you know what it is? It is, but it's an absolute. It's part of the game. It's it's somebody described it as a professional's foul, which is which it is. You know, uh, dating back to Rocky Marciano was famously you know lauded for being able to turn his hooks over to the point where if he missed you with a hook, he'd hit you with the elbow. Um, that's not that's not a new technique. You know what I mean? And it you have to get on with it to a degree. Especially you know you're in the pros at that point. You're not in the amateurs, and yeah, uh, you have to expect to get a forearm smash or an elbow sometimes, or or, or, or you know a punch south of the border. That, that will happen. Mm. Um, in the comments, uh, Isham Pickram says uh, that he definitely spat the mouthpiece out in that fight, Chuck. Yeah, he, he um, you know, well, I'll, t- I'll take his word for it. Yeah, he, um, yeah. I think probably he probably did. Yeah, and uh, if, if he says so, I'm not going to argue with, with Brown Sugar. And uh, and Jeff Thompson said a bit earlier uh, that he couldn't wait, he can't wait to find out if uh, Garcia is the real deal, uh, the best against the best. That's what we all want to resurrect the game. Exactly, you know, I mean, that is what we want. Um, and when we talk about resurrecting the game, I sometimes wonder when, because a lot of diehards they say the game's dead on its arse or boxing's dying, and this is why. But and I wonder from, from a kind of independent economic position, financial position, is it dying or is it actually healthier than it's ever been? Or one thing I know is the grassroots is not healthy. I know that the bottom of the pyramid is definitely not doing well. It's tough down there. I know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. But maybe at the highest level, with the you know with the pay per view model and the different platforms, perhaps for a lot of these players, the big players, perhaps it isn't broke. You know what I mean? Perhaps they don't yeah, relate to what we're, what we're talking about. The laments we often raise on pages like like this. But um, all I do know, and I was talking about this with Peter McDonald today, and I was hoping he was going to expand on it tonight, but it doesn't look like we've had the pleasure of him. He, we, we were both agreed that other professional sports, other big mainstream professional sports that attract millions and millions of revenue and sponsorship, uh, you know, in the mainstream, they don't run themselves like boxing. You know, so many of the eels in boxing are uh, justified by lazy insiders, but on, off, off the back of the maxim, boxing's a business. But what they they justify an awful lot of nonsense with that maxim without truly thinking it through. And one thing I do know is it's not really mirrored in other mainstream sports, you know, that same approach. It, it isn't, you know, you got, so boxing is, I think boxing is unique in that sense. I mean, a friend of mine, Nick Manners, who was a ex pro of, of some quality himself and went on to distinguish himself as a trainer, working with the likes of Josh Warrington, you know, Leeds finest. Um, mm-hmm. He was saying to me the other day, uh, is it the case that there's not enough clean money in boxing to make it legitimate and to and to make and to, and to allow it to be legitimized? He said, "Is that the problem with boxing? Is there's just too much? There's too much dirty money in the sport of boxing." And you know, when you look at the MTK thing recently, that was it was it was I think two years ago today, not today, but two years ago, this last week or whatever, that the uh, boxing and the mob documentary premiered on BBC One. And you have Barry McGuigan sticking his neck out and a lot of people calling him a grass and a rat at the time, whereas I do feel Barry probably feels a little bit more vindicated the way the story has played out up to now, you know. But certainly that was one example of a major question marks over boxing, the industry and who, who runs it and who's in charge and, you know, and what governs it, what drives it. So the, the assertion, is there not enough clean... Is boxing intrinsically crooked? And is it crooked because there's a lot of money that hasn't come from the most legal of sources that, that gets played into it. I mean, I, I think, I think you know, something like Metroom, you tend to think is them as completely legitimate, you know, I mean, because Barry Hearn built that sports uh, empire from scratch, starting with his, you know, his foray into the snooker world and all the rest of it. But you could see, when you look at a lot of other people's um, dealings and the way they do business and, and their lineage, where they've come from, on, on the other side of the pond as well, especially, you know, um, in the States, there is a lot of murkiness around it, and it and it probably does account to a degree why we can't seem to, when we claim that we want boxing to be to be like a sport and you know to be run along the same lines as like you know, the Grand Slam tennis tournaments or or the the top football tournaments, we have to realise that it is an intrinsically murkier subculture. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I've got a couple of other questions I wanted to th- float to you before before you look to sort of. Uh, finish up and stuff. Uh, yeah, right. sure. First and foremost, um, I want to stick with the boxing first of all, and then I wanted to 
to ask you a bit about Cal Brook's uh, situation over the last oh, good. couple of days. I want, but, um, I want you to ask me that. I'm glad you asked me that question, <laughs> as politicians say. Indeed. But first of all, I wanted to ask you, uh, it looks like J Joe Joyce is going to fight uh, Zhang in April. Is that a good yeah. fight for him, do you think? Great, yeah. Entertaining. I mean, I've, I've become a bit of a... I don't want to say Joe Joyce fan as such, because honestly... As, as God is my witness, I'm not a fan of too many fighters at the age I've got to. I, I have my idols, you know, from, mm -hmm. from when I was small. But um, I'm not really, I don't tend to to feel fanish towards a lot of fighters these days. But I do I do really like Joe Joyce, actually, um, now. I get him. Um, I went to the movie premiere about his blind mother, which is an inspirational piece by a friend of mine uh, called Emmanuel, who, who invited myself and Natalie to a movie premiere last year. And Joe, his mother's a wonderful woman too. She's really cool. Um, but, but Joe is such a, a cool, de decent, dignified, honest lad. And, you know, he's done really well with what he's got, you know, um, in my, with my cover tea as a fighter particularly. But he is relentless. He is a juggernaut, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. Zhang is... I fancy Joyce to beat Zhang certainly, but it's not going to be boring. You know, they get they're going to get they're going to engage and they're going to have it. And I think because Joyce got the edge in durability, I think probably power uh, certainly in terms of stamina and engine. So I strongly fancy Joyce, but it's 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 a great entertaining matchup that that's probably not going the distance. While Joe waits for the big one, you know. Yeah, he said it's uh, it'll be good preparation for Usyk or Fury. So obviously that's where yep. he's looking. Yep. Um, and I think again. That the, the, those fights interest me as well. Like Joe Joyce versus Yusuke or Fury, assuming that he obviously gets past Zhang. Actually, I find that much more interesting than the Joshua Fury potential fight. I think that's yeah. You know, I'd maybe that changes, but this I just I, I'd rather not, see Joyce. I, like yourself, I'm not intrigued by the possibility of Joshua Fury. Really, not at all. Whereas, yeah, Joyce. That's an interesting challenge. I would, I would, I would fancy Tyson for for so many reasons. But like, think with Joyce, Joyce is extraordinarily strong and durable, and he's he's relentless, and he, he's he's got he's good at distance too. He's got he has a good mastery of distance, and he understands that strategically. He's pretty solid actually. He understands what he's good at and what he's not good at, and. Um, he hasn't been beat yet, has he? You know, he hasn't he hasn't put a foot wrong yet. And I, I say he is. I used to get on him a little bit for being uh, not overly charismatic and not particularly, uh, not especially eloquent. But actually, I realise what he, he is just a thoroughly decent human being. You know, um, and I feel bad about the fact that I once made some crack, which was taken certainly his his manager at the time, Sam Jones, took umbrage because I said. I made some joke about needing a filter on the phone that made the interviews more charismatic and, and exciting, or bombastic, I think was the word I used, as if to suggest that, as it stood, it wasn't very compulsive viewing. Mm. And it was like, oh, you know, Ben Doughty will never get another interview with Joe Joyce again and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, it was, that, that was unfortunate. And that became a bit of a thing on Twitter for, a, I don't know, a week or something. I, I, I didn't get in the ring with these people. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't defend myself. Carl Frampton said something stupid said I was a prick and he hopes Joe Joyce recognises me next time he sees me. Well, I don't know if he recognised me or not when I saw him at the movie premiere, but we got a nice picture anyway, so love you yeah. too, Cole. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah. But it, it's, it, it's a good fight against the, the Chinese heavyweight and I look forward to it. Indeed. Um, Jeff Thompson in the comments says, I, I love Big Joe. He's old school. I backed him against Dubois and got ridiculed at the time. Yeah, I, I backed him against Dubois and I, and I can... I did, and I said I preferred Dubois. In, in, I mean, Dubois was someone I actually knew at the time to, to an extent. I mean, when I first saw Dubois at the gym when he was still an amateur at the Peacock Gym, when he was a mountain of a you know of a, of a man, then his dad said to me, "He's changed a bit, Andy. Do you recognise him?" And I said, "I didn't know who he was talking about." I, I said, "What? Who?" And he said, "You took him on the pads at Repton when he was little. You know, when he when he was like nine or something. Apparently, I I gave him some pad work when he was down the Repton, and his dad remembered me." And he said he's grown a bit, hasn't he? So, so I have. I, I will claim that I've padded Daniel Dubois, but I, I haven't had time to work with him since he was nine. So, if you see mm -hmm. any, if you do see any problems or frailties, they were not my fault. No, of course, by you. No, exactly. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't blame me for that. But um, yeah. But the point being, I, I was I favoured Dubois more as a fighter, and, and I knew him to some extent just to say hello to. So I, I would, I probably would have liked to have seen him win. And the Bowers, you know, the good lads from Town. But I did fancy Joyce, and I said to anybody, as much as I think um, 
that Dubois might be the more talented of the two. I said, I do have this feeling that George will be the last man standing. So I definitely picked him to stop Dubois. Um, you know, I, I thought he'd just be too durable and too relentless for him. And he was. Um, and then obviously we saw uh, a video earlier this week with Kel Brook uh, snorting some sort of illegal substance. Now, uh, me and you have done several we've had several conversations on podcasts about things like mental health and addictions and stuff like this between the two of us. And also we've talked about boxers struggling after they retire. Um, but the one thing I wanted to ask you, obviously ask you about the whole situation, he's kind of made a statement and said he's struggling with uh, his retirement and stuff. But my first reaction to seeing that video is the first thing I thought was he needs to get new friends simply because the people, the people he's with are, you know, whatever he's doing that, but they're filming it and they're selling it to the nearest newspaper, you know, and I just feel like, look, people will do what they're going to do, but, like, the people you're with and the people in your circle should be people that you can trust. Yeah, they should and be exploiting you. Well, no, you know, I, I heard who it was. I'm not going to say, so he needn't get nervous. But Ishan Pickering mm. told me who it was who filmed it, okay. um, and it was, it, it was somebody connected to a fighter, a, a well-known name. He was connected to him. Let's say mm. he wasn't a fighter himself of any great notes, but that was who did it. It was someone who's in, you know, the, the, the person he's connected to is known to boxing fans uh, who, who allegedly filmed it and sold it to the Sun. But um, you see, a lot of people because Kel made a statement. You know, like you said, he said he's struggling with retirement and he apologised. He said, I'd like to apologise for any hurt I've caused or, you know, the people that love me, you know, who might be concerned to see this going on, this kind of shenanigans. A lot of people, you know, inevitably said, well, but fuck him. He said, you know, what he does in his own homes, his own business. And, you know, so he takes a line. He's retired, you know, and somebody said, oh, 90% of the country do that on a Saturday night, which I think is a little exaggeration, incidentally. I don't think yeah. that many people are charlied out their nuts every weekend. Although I know how rife it is. I'm not stupid. I'm a man of the world. And I think, I believe you You already know that I've I've, I've, I've caned it myself back in the day as far as... Yeah, we had, a, we had a long chat, didn't we, about your sort of your... Yeah, in that my story episode and kind of talked about, about your days and stuff. I know all about partying and drinking and cocaine and, and I know about worse things than that even, you know, less mm. acceptable, less glamorous things, shall we say. I, I've I've spent my time in some of these crack houses in England and America, you know, with people talking nonsense about their great plans for world domination when all you want is for the for the dealer to hurry up and get back, you know, and all the rest of it. Mm. But um but you know, here's my take on it. Um, that I can't see it as harmless recreation in Kel's case, no. based on everything I know about fighters, addiction, you know, retirement, depression, cocaine, the drug scene, how it goes down. I think it is a is a red flag, um, and I don't feel as I'm being pious uh, by saying that. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to become this rehab bull. I don't want to become a guy who's like a recovery warrior who's like imposes my situation. I, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I can't drink and I found a way of not drinking six, nearly six years ago, which has actually had me delirious with joy with each passing day for the most part. I, I, I'm free now. I cracked, I cracked it. I got, I got that gift and I feel like I've got to give it away to keep it. So if somebody calls me and tells me they're struggling, I, I, I want to give them my time and I want to help them. But... um. I don't want to impose that onto the whole world. Certainly not when people are drinking and going out you know, on holidays or saying, yeah, if I see people like, you know, girls singing karaoke on Christmas day with a beer in their hand at nine in the morning, I think crack on, you know, that's fine. That's great. If you're a normal, responsible social drinker. And, and that doesn't, that doesn't mean you can't get a little responsible sometimes, you know, a little bit of mischief. That's just, mm. that's just boys will be boys and girls will be girls. But here's the facts of, here's the truth of the situation regarding cocaine. Right. And I said this, um, on Facebook as well the other day in a, in, a, in a comment thread. If you take a lot of coke on a regular basis, it will fuck you up and it may even strip you of everything you hold dear. If you take a little bit of coke on a less regular basis, you might get away with it, but you could probably spend your money on something more worthwhile that doesn't support a whole underbelly of global fuckery. That is the end of it. There's no way on earth it's harmless recreational use for for Kelbrook, and people say he was only doing a line. It's like, well, you only saw him doing one line. At the end of the day, 
his stage in life, in his position, that is not the right road he needs to go down. So he acknowledged himself he struggles in mental health. It's hard to find someone who doesn't nowadays, by the way. I'm thinking of popularising the slogan, it's okay to be okay, like a renegade movement. But, you know, he's had his documented issues. People said back in the day that Kel was a party boy. He was terrible with weight. He was terrible in, in, in periods of idleness. He would get in trouble. He got hacked, you know, nearly to death by a man with a machete in either Spain or Tenerife, did he not, when he was up to... And you know that there were shenanigans involved. You know it was it was a murky little scene. We don't really know the truth of that. We just know that he was badly, badly injured with a man with a machete. There were lots of rumours about Kel, not just concerning his his habits, but about his proclivities as well, you know. And Amir Khan came out with him at one point and said something about that as well. You know, and regardless of that, I don't really know anything about that. But one thing I guarantee you is Kel Brook is not a harmless recreational drug user. That will mm. not be the case. And as such, I would rather not, for his sake, not see those kind of exposés in the tabloids. I, I would rather he was never giving them that ammunition. And like you say, yes, yes, he needs to think about his friends or the people he chooses, the people he thinks are his friends or the people he chooses to spend his time with. But I, I think Kel would be a lot happier if he wasn't putting that stuff up his nose at any point. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've been in similar situations myself when I was younger and like, it's um, the one thing I will just say, like, because I, as again, same as you, I don't like to sort of tell people what to do and not no. what not to do and stuff like that because I was just a person who couldn't do it socially and responsible, responsibly, like, into a, I yeah. had to do it all the time, so I had to stop it. So, like, but my point is, if he's struggling with mental health already and he's already struggling with being retired from boxing, doing that is not going to be helpful. Oh. I'm sorry, boxers are well known for being obsessive, all or nothing type characters who don't mm -hmm. know the meaning of half measures. That is the whole thing about being a fighter. If you're a fighter at his level, you know, you're not normally wired anyway. There's something extraordinary inside of yourself, and that's why you needed boxing, amongst other things, to vent it. Once that goes, I mean, you're yeah, Eshagoy Leonard, you know, that'd be a good guy for him to talk to, you know, um, who said that he was. Shagoy Leonard was, was, was drinking and, and taking cocaine because he said nothing else compared to the adulation of boxing, particularly not his rare echelon, you know. Mm. And um, and he was trying to replace it, but he couldn't. And in the end, he made himself miserable and self-loathing. That's, the, that's the, the great trick and illusion of drugs. It makes you feel like the king of the world, but eventually it makes you hate yourself and want to die. Oh, yeah. That is the way it goes down. And if you're any good at drinking or drugging, you have to give it up at some point. If you're a rank amateur or a casual, fine. You can probably get away with it your whole life. I can't relate to you, and I don't understand what makes you tick if you're like that. If you're any good at drinking or drugs, you have to give it up. 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, one quick question about it. One of the, I just remembered that I saw a comment from his manager. Forgive me. I think it's Terry something. Um, Terry, 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 Terry. Kel Brooks' Possibly. manager. Yeah, Terry Thompson, maybe Terry Thomas. I don't know. Um, really? Because I, I yeah. thought Dominic Ingle was his manager. Uh, let me bring it up now quickly because I don't want to misquote anyone. Anyway. No, sorry, not Dominic, not Dominic Ingle. Um, but Ingle was certainly. Ah, yeah, so, according to on the BBC website, it says um, his manager, referring to Cal Brook, Terry Thompson, told the son that the video was a joke and that Brook was just having a laugh. Now, like, I look. Again, don't want to like criticize and whatever. People can do what they want, but like to me, that's not helpful to his situation because he's come out, especially if he's come out and said he's struggling. Underplaying it is kind of not helpful either. That sounds just like a clutching of straws to me because Keller's already apologized for it and all the rest of it and said he's struggling. So it doesn't sound like Kel's on board with that with that mm. that explanation or that alibi, you know. And so why why would you do Isham that? Isham just I mean, said he's self managed as well in the comments, but, but like I said, I just read that off the BBC. I don't know website. Who, I've never heard of Terry either. Thompson, honestly. Uh, I've never heard perhaps he's like a kind of I don't know. PR like guy, a, maybe commercial manager, PR guy, yeah. Um Yeah. Um yeah, you know, I mean it's the sort of thing I'd have done back in the day, maybe, you know, when I was younger, when I was looking to agitate and cause problems all the time. I wanted attention. Um, not like today, of course. Um, you know, but um, yeah, that's the sort of thing, you know. I remember when I was when I was really young and naive about drugs. We used to try and convince my grandma we were doing drugs by getting these funny coloured pills in polythene bags and leaving them about. And we were trying to get her at it, thinking we were all, you know, these drug-crazed um, 
you know, adolescent freaks. But um, mm. I think she, they were Skittles, I think, as, as, as I recall. Mm. But, so maybe I'd have done it a very long time ago. But why a man of Kel's stamp of maturity will be pretending to snort coke yeah, and get I someone to get direct to tabloids, no idea. Maybe it's a maybe it's a misquote in terms of the BBC website, but it was just yeah. I remember seeing it and I thought mm, yeah. it doesn't seem that weird. But yeah, I look. I just hope that he, if he needs help, he gets the help he needs. And like I think we can all agree, no one wants to end up reading, you know, harrowing headlines about any former boxers who are struggling and and go that that sort of route where they have problems. Absolutely not. Um, and funny enough. Uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, Nathan Cleverley's like uh, Instagram page in recent years, but that's like that's that is a minefield of um, stuff. Like there was yeah. a point, there was a point last. I think it was last year, maybe the year before, probably towards the end of like the lockdowns and stuff, where yeah. I was like looking at. I was getting quite worried for his sort of his sanity, like and his health. He just healthy just uh yeah it was, it was weird. i heard that yeah people were saying that never nathan cleverly's lost it have you seen some of his posts and i did have a look like you say that kind of time frame that you just alluded to and um i, I never really had an update on that i forgot about it until you mentioned it but it did seem like it'd gone sideways you know and it, it it does happen i've seen i've seen drugs do that to people obviously i'm not saying cleverly's on drugs by the way no no i've got no idea but i have seen narcotics do that you know and, and create some strange perceptions in people um i don't know um it's it's hard for me to make an argument for cocaine to be honest with you um even though i know alcohol is has its you know it has its evils and does a lot of damage and some people say that it's worse than all the rest of them and it is if, if that's your poison if that's if that's your deadly poison then it's the worst thing for you you know same as a person who, who who's a heroin addict you know or someone else who was okay until they sucked on the crack pipe and all, all the rest of it but it's hard for me to make i can make an argument for drinking i feel comfortable making an argument for alcohol and social drinking and, and controlled drinking I, I do feel that's okay um it's hard for me to make an argument for social cocaine use. And you've also got the, you know, somebody else made the point on my page that he's seen the devastation it creates on some of the UK estates, some of the London estates and the violence and deaths and problems it creates. So a lot of, you know, uh, more privileged middle, white middle-class types on the other side of the river or in the, some of the more, the more salubrious parts of London can think it's also desperately clever and, you know, and swish and naughty, you know, so... Yeah, absolutely. I haven't got a lot of time for cocaine, to be honest with you. I remember Ian Brown in closing from the Stone Roses. He said, I am on a one-man crusade against cocaine. If you take it, you're a complete fucking dick. You've got no confidence and you need to have a word with yourself or something like that. You know what I mean? He, there was, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty down on cocaine, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I think I know, like, back in the day, it was like a, you know, a thing which pretty much all my circle was involved in and did and it was just a done thing but yeah. I I it was just not it was not for me in the long run shall we say but there we yeah, go yeah. same same <laughs> but there we go um so I'm trying to think if there was anything else I want to ask you about now while I've got the opportunity um oh last question from me anyway uh in your opinion um, who's the most underrated British boxer of all time who doesn't get the credit that they deserve for just how good they were? I think one of the first names I come up with is Robbie Regan, the Welsh, uh, my good friend. I like, uh, I like, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you're gonna, I don't need to tell you who he is because you're Welsh, so you know, I think Robbie, you look back at his fights, you know, and he was. I don't agree that he was a double world champion like he thinks he is. I, th I give him the bantamweight title. I don't uh, the the interim thing he won as, as I believe as a super flyweight. Um, I don't go for that. But but he was a legitimate you know world you know WBO world champion. And I think he, his style was just really he was just a really good boxer with a lot of flair. And you know I look at his uh, style and his achievements. And I think Robbie Regan's one of the names that would come to mind. Who else did I really like? Um, I, I thought. Talking about underrated, he never really achieved a great deal. But I thought David Starry from from Suffolk looked super talented. He looked so aesthetically, he looked so good, and he looked like he was going somewhere special. But he got a world title shot against um, 
he got his shot against uh, Kazagi, I believe. Um, and he, he, he might, he, I think he fought Reggie Woodall as well. I think he might have got a shot against Woodall too. And he didn't shine on those occasions. But Starry, I remember Don Turner, the American trainer who worked with him in the Holyfield and such. And he was saying that Starry looked, you know, talent wise, looked like one of the best fighters he ever seen. But um, so there was another one. Who, but on achievements as well, another, let me think of one more on achievements who really doesn't get the credit they deserve. Isham says uh, Lloyd Hunnigan. Nah, because people know who he is. So people know all, Hunnigan's not underrated. Hunnigan is not. It's it's the answer to these questions is never someone obvious. If it is someone mm. obvious, then it, then it's obviously they're not, not underrated. No, they're not underrated. It's like the worst one is Larry Holmes, most underrated heavyweight ever. Is he fuck? <laughs> Larry Holmes is not remotely underrated. The world and his brother says that it's it is tedious as hell. And I think Holmes is the, <laughs> might have been the number two heavyweight in history, but he, he's not underrated. Um, I don't think Hunnigan's underrated either. Um, and guys like Harold Graham certainly not underrated. They get that shout out all the time. Oh, greatest fighter, British fighter, never won a world title. I'm not convinced with that argument that Harold was that, but he was a wonderful fighter. I know that. And um, but once again, he's not underrated. Um, I like Robbie Regan as as the answer to that question up to now. Um, I mean, Pat Cowdell was one, was one hell of a fighter in his day. Mm-hmm. He attended the great Salvador Sanchez back in. Um, would have been 1981. Um, you know, um, Tony Simpson, um, you know, he, he'd have been a world champion today for sure. You know, he was, mm. he was, he, and, and I think Simpson perhaps doesn't get enough credit for being a bit of a pioneer. Somebody made an interesting point about the rhythm Simpson had when he destroyed Alan Minter in 1981, um, in three rounds. Somebody had commented on my YouTube channel that look at the rhythm that Simpson has. He said he's almost like a black American fighter, actually, which I didn't, it's not a comparison I'd have immediately made, but I understood what he meant. And he said even black British fighters didn't have rhythm in that era, most of them. He said if you look at them, like Morris Hope certainly didn't, for instance, who was a world champion and made three defenses, said he ran into Wilfred Benitez. And he was saying, just look at that rhythm that Sibbo's got, the bobbing and weaving, and the, you know, just and his offensive. It was like a Latin fighter stroke, black American fighter. You know, in a way that you wonder where he got it from, because I remember Barry McGuigan said that to get his more Latino kind of left hook in, left hook to the liver style, and you know that Barry people said Barry didn't box like a Brit. Um, he said he had to get tapes from the um, sent over in the states to, to study these Mexicans, great Mexican fighters and Hispanic fighters. So, Sibo is probably pretty underrated too. Nice, good, I like it, good answers. Um, that's pretty much. All the questions I can think of from me, I'm uh, trying to think okay. if there's any others. But uh, was there anything else you wanted to touch on, mate, this evening? No, I think that's it, Si. It's been, it's kind of, been kind of cool like this, you know, because you are more the, the kind of classic anchor, you know, like a journalist. Mm. With me and Michael, it feels like it is this just kind of, not a free-for-all, but you know what I mean? It's like two, it's like two major ego voices trying to... <laughs> trying to assert themselves to a degree, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Whereas with you, you're more like the classic straight man, which is good. I appreciate it. In fact, on that note, because you know what Ace Podcast Nation is all about, why don't you close us this week? All right, I appreciate that. Um, guys, make sure you check out uh, the previous episodes of Sugar and Silk on uh, Ben's on Ace Podcast Nation's Facebook page, Ben's Facebook page, and, of course, uh, the Sports Social Podcast Network, if you prefer your podcast in audio form and uh, please do check out ace podcast nation's youtube channel and patreon for uh, all sorts of podcasts and interviews with boxers fighters footballers or film <laughs> stars bands ben there's loads of them there's all, all sorts but uh ben i ap- appreciate you let me uh fill in for, uh, for for michael as it were and uh yeah nice one for having me and uh, okay thank we'll you be back next week uh, as normal mate and i'll be back behind the scenes Thanks all for watching. Nice one. Sports Social Podcast Network.